Well, good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Matt Litson, and I serve as the pastor of missions in our Capital Press family. Uh, I'm delighted to be here with you while Rob is off celebrating the Tar Heels winning uh, last night, busting my bracket where I had, I had Duke in the championship. But water under the bridge at this point. Uh, students, kids, uh, I recognize that for many of you, this is your spring break, and on your list of things to do during your spring break, I'm sure coming back to school before you absolutely had to is not high on your list. And just want to let you know, I see you, and I've created a way for you to vent your frustrations, and that is an email address I've set up called rob at fairfaxprez.org, <laughs> and you can direct all of your complaints to the manager, and he will be happy to respond to you. Uh, if you're new this morning, uh, we're so glad that you're here. You've joined us on a great week because we're beginning a new series of messages on Jesus and the resurrection, the person and the event that's at the center of our faith. And so if you're wondering what Christians believe, what we're all about, I invite you to come and see over the next few weeks uh, all that Christians believe, all that we hold near and dear to our hearts. Our passage this morning that we're going to look at together comes from uh, a biography of Jesus called the Gospel of John, John chapter 11, and I encourage you to find your way there now in your Bible or on your device and encourage you to keep it open during our time together. We're going to bounce around the whole chapter, uh, but we're going to live in verses 20 to 27. John chapter 11, we can almost describe as a dress rehearsal for Easter. This is the gospel message, the gospel story in miniature, that if you're curious about what the Easter event is all about, this is a glimpse or a foretaste of what's to come. And we're going to uh, look at this passage together. Uh, I'm going to read it for us. We're going to pray, and then we're going to unpack what is in store for us this morning. So John chapter 11, starting in verse 20, and then going down to verse 27. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word right now, we pray that you would make it plain to us, that your Holy Spirit would come and be our teacher and show us more of Jesus, of his love for us, and its implications for our lives. We pray this in his name. Amen. So the conversation that we read here between Jesus and Martha occurs in about in the midway point of the story. So it's helpful for us to zoom out a little bit and get a little bit of context. So at the start of John 11, Martha and Mary... Uh, send word to Jesus that, that their brother and Jesus' friend Lazarus is sick. So they call for Jesus to come and go and heal him. And however, uh, Jesus, after hearing this message, he tarries a little bit. He waits a couple days after he receives this news, and then he shows up uh, 
to the village of Bethany where Martha and Mary are. And Lazarus is no longer sick. He's died. And in fact, he's been dead for about four days. And so Martha, when he, she hears that Jesus has finally come, she goes and she, and she starts to talk to Jesus. She confronts him about it. And Jesus says something in this conversation that I hope was a little bit confusing to you because he says something in this conversation that unless it is true, it's either on the one hand completely tone deaf at best or it's completely self-absorbed and narcissistic and selfish at worst. Because what happens is when Martha goes to Jesus to talk about her brother Lazarus, Jesus makes it about himself, right? Jesus, Jesus says, uh, you know, I, more, than what, more than having your dead brother return to life to you right now, what you need more than that is me, right? It, this is, you know, it's statements like this that we just can't say that Jesus is some great moral teacher because why, why would a good religious teacher make statements like this? Like, would you consider, if you were in Martha's shoes, if, if you were at a funeral of somebody who was very dear and close to you and somebody shows up late and then starts to make the whole affair about themselves, could we really call that kind of person good? Uh, what Jesus is saying here is, is tone deaf or it's hurtful unless it is true. Unless what Jesus is saying is true, these words really have nothing to do with the situation. And so the question for us this morning uh, is do we believe in Jesus's words here? That, that when Jesus tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, he's not saying that, that I know the way to life or I have some kind of connection to a higher power, but, but I am life itself. I am the power that created and sustains and animates the universe. Do, do you hear how crazy that is? That kind of statement is, 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 is why we just can't call Jesus some good teacher. He, he's claiming to be something more. And so the question for us this morning is, do we believe this? Do you believe this? See, it's a large claim, and if we're honest, uh, there's a lot of barriers to believing that kind of statement. There, there are a ton of barriers to belief, and, and the story shows us uh, perhaps the greatest barrier to belief. Uh, it's the problem of suffering, of pain, of death. I, I imagine if we took a straw poll of the room this morning, Christians and non-Christians alike, about what makes it hard to believe in God, the, the question of suffering and pain and death comes up, number one, probably every single time. But what I want us to see this morning is that as high a barrier the problem of suffering and death is, belief becomes possible when we understand our suffering in light of Christ's mission. Belief becomes possible when we understand our suffering in light of Christ's mission. That's my thesis statement this morning if you're looking for where we're going. Belief becomes possible when we understand our suffering in light of Christ's mission. And as our roadmap to unpack that sentence, let's look at Jesus' encounters with Martha and Mary to wrap our heads around suffering, and then his encounter with Lazarus to, to, to see his mission. All right, so first, let's look at Martha and Mary. If you look at verses 21 and 32, kind of put your finger on both of those verses, you'll see that Martha and Mary both go to Jesus and they, they ask the exact same question, and yet they get very different responses. Right? They come with the same words, but get two different answers. And I, and I think... The reason that happens is because while Martha and Mary are using their exact same words, they're processing the loss of their brother from two different starting places. Uh, Martha, we could say, is processing loss and the death of her brother from an intellectual or rational place. I mean, do you, do you get that in the conversation that we just read? She goes to Jesus and says, Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But, 
But even now, I, I think there's a way we can figure this out, Jesus. I, I think even now there's still something that you can do. And, and when Jesus responds to, to Martha and says, well, one day, you know, or, or your brother will rise again, Martha responds by saying, well, yeah, 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 Jesus, one day he will rise again. I, I think there's a general resurrection at the end of, end of time where we're all uh, of God's people will raise from the dead. So yeah, Jesus, yes, he, he will rise again. I, I agree. And, and Jesus even presses her a little bit and, and makes this statement and asks if she believes. And Martha says, yeah, yes, Lord, I believe. Uh, but, but then we see in a little bit that she actually doesn't believe. She actually doesn't get it because when Jesus goes to the tomb, if you jump down to verse 39, Jesus is walking to the tomb of Lazarus and he asks for the stone in front of his tomb to be rolled away. Martha objects. Martha tries to stop Jesus and says, Jesus, no, there's, he's been dead for four days. There's going to be a smell. Like, don't, don't do this. Like, what? Like, didn't you just tell me that, that you believe? And, and now why, why is she trying to stop Jesus from rolling the stone away? It shows that that she has this intellectual framework, but it really hasn't sunk in. It really doesn't make sense. It makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. Make sense? Um, now, maybe you're wired that way, where, where your default mode to processing suffering is to rationalize it, to be intellectual. Uh, Martha demonstrates uh, this religious approach of rationalizing our suffering, which looks like for us in, in Christian circles of just knowing the Sunday school answers, uh, of, of studying, of repeating, of reciting these religious truisms uh, to ourselves. You know, like God has a plan and everything happens for a reason, but it, but it really doesn't make an impact on our life moment by moment, day by day. Uh, on the other hand, if, if you're not religious, you might have an approach to suffering that's, that's rational and it looks uh, less like uh, giving a Sunday school answer as, as it does, uh, and forgive my, my comparison here, but, but to Lex Luthor in the movie Batman vs. Superman. Now, I, I could have made this point by, by pointing to more sophisticated folks like Voltaire or Epicurus, but to give you a glimpse into, into the culture that I consume, we're going with Batman vs. Superman. Uh, in that movie, Lex Luthor is wrestling with uh, the suffering that he experienced as a boy being abused by his father. And he realized somewhere along the way in his experience of, of abuse and suffering that God can't exist. Why? Because if God were all powerful, he would have intervened to stop his dad from beating him, right? And the beating happened, so he can't be all powerful. And, and if God were all loving, uh, he, God, God would have stopped the abuse because why, why would he look at him being abused and let it continue, right? So God can't be all loving, and so God can't exist because he's either not all powerful or he's not all good. And, and in fact, do you, do you notice that this kind of dynamic between God's goodness and his power locking uh, kind of butting heads here actually occurs in our text. If you jump down to verse 36, I believe. Um, yeah, one, yeah, verse 36, one side of the crowd looks at what's happening and sees Jesus crying and says, oh, look at how he loved him. And then the other side says, well, couldn't, couldn't he have stopped this man from dying? Right? You see God's, God's power and God's love kind of butting heads here. And, and, and it has to be the love of Jesus or the power of Jesus. It, it can't be both. Right? So Martha's response to suffering is to rationalize it. Uh, I think some of us in, the, in our room are wired that way, uh, but not all of us. Uh, there's another way of responding to suffering, and we see this in Mary's response in verse 32. Uh, how, how does Mary respond to suffering? Uh, with rage, uh, with tears. She goes out and her question to Jesus is less a question of faith as it is an accusation against Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. 
Mary's response is visceral, it's emotional. And she doesn't even look at Jesus in the face. She falls down at his feet because she's overcome by her grief. And maybe that's how you're wired. Maybe you approach suffering less as an object like outside of you, so something to understand and study and analyze, as it is something that you feel in your gut, something that, that feels like, like wounds uh, being, being cut open on you. But, but notice here, that, that these two responses form almost a spectrum of suffering, that, that at one point in time, we're, we're either rationalizing our suffering or, or we're emoting it. Maybe you, maybe you lean one toward the other, maybe you fluctuate between the two, but, but these are our normal responses to the suffering that we see and observe and experience in the world. But, but notice that, that both Martha's response to suffering and Mary's response to suffering are just that. They're responses, but they're not answers, right? They're, they're reactions and they're not solutions. Uh, and because analyzing your suffering and embodying your suffering doesn't make your problems go away. So I, I show you this spectrum. I kind of chart out Martha's and Mary's reactions here to, to help you understand how you respond to suffering. Take a moment, think about it. How do you typically react to suffering and pain and loss in your life? How, how do you react to suffering? Because knowing how, I ask that question because knowing how you react to suffering uh, will actually help you better understand how Jesus responds to us in our suffering, how, how he goes out to thinkers and, feel, and feelers and their pain. Uh, and, and, and that by understanding how we respond to suffering uh, might be able to inform how Jesus meets us in our suffering. So look at how Jesus responds to the thinker. Look at, look at what he does with Martha. Martha comes with an intellectual response. And Jesus meets her with an intellectual answer, but but he actually even goes further than that. He, he says, "Mary, you, you or Martha, you, you've got you've got the head knowledge, but it's that's not enough. You, you need more than than truth. You need an experience, right? You, you need more than the right answers. You need a, a person. Uh, don't just know about the resurrection. Look at me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I'm the power that's created." and upholds the universe. See, Mary needed to see that the power of the resurrection is not just an abstract thing, not just an idea to wrap your head around, but it's, it's deeply personal, right? So personal that it's standing in front of her. So that's how Jesus responds to the thinker with, with more truth than just saying your truth isn't enough. But then look at how he responds to Mary. See, Martha needed a ministry of truth and, and Mary she needed a ministry of tears, right? We, 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 we can hardly call Jesus's conversation with Mary a conversation because, uh, because the, the whole conversation is basically done through tears. Martha comes and she weeps at Jesus's feet and Jesus sees Mary weeping and, and so Jesus weeps with her. Jesus meets Mary's tears with tears of his own. And if you read John 11 in full, you, you realize that Jesus isn't crying with Mary because he's powerless in this situation. In fact, before Jesus leaves where he is to go to Martha and Mary, he tells his followers that he's going to go and raise Lazarus. So Jesus isn't weeping with Mary because he's one more powerless person shaking his fist at death. No, he's weeping with Mary because he loves her, because he truly sees her in her hurt and he weeps with her. The power that created and sustains the universe has tears on his cheeks and he's sitting with those in the midst of deep pain and loss. See, we may not ne- ever know why, 
why bad things happen, why suffering and death are, are in the world and even intruding on your doorstep. But, but one thing that this scene shows us, and one, one, one reason that, that it cannot be is that God doesn't love us or doesn't care because we see him here weeping with those who are suffering. The God of the universe, with tears on his cheeks, is weeping with those who hurt. Now, Jesus could have, could have just said, Mary, stop it, right? Do you, do you know who I am? Do you know who, what, what I've come here to do? But no, he, he gives Mary a shoulder to cry on. And, and don't you love the heart of Jesus in this moment, how he knows how to respond to each and every person, right? Martha needed a concept. Mary needed presence. And in Jesus, that's exactly what they get. And it's this response from Jesus that I think that makes Christianity give the most compelling response to the problem of suffering because it engages both the head and the heart, right? The intellect and the emotions. And, and friend, as, as you reflect on your own suffering this morning, on your own loss, on your own pain, what is it that you need to from Jesus this morning? If you're a thinker, do you need to hear again that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That that while we may not know why certain things have happened in the world or in your life, it, it isn't because God doesn't love you because he does. This passage, if you read John 11 in full, emphatically states three times that Jesus loves people who are hurting. And, and we need to let that truth, that, that thing that's abundantly clear in this passage that God loves us, inform us in those areas of life that are less clear. Uh, we, we need to let that truth inf- uh, help us interpret what uh, ways that what one commentator says to help us interpret our sufferings, uh, our circumstances in light of Christ's love for us and not Christ's love in light of our circumstances. Right? Uh, because the resurrection is true. And, and if you're a feeler, if your default mode is, is, to, is to embody uh, your suffering, you need to see that Jesus is right there with you. Right? He, he's, he's with us in our pain uh, and, he, and that's the reason why he came and became vulnerable to, to not only suffer for us, but to suffer alongside us. See, Jesus both sits with us in our darkness and he points us to the light. And Jesus gives us both his promises while also giving us his presence in the midst of our pain. See, that's how Jesus responds to sufferers. He, belief becomes possible when we understand that we have a, a robust answer to the problem of suffering, right? We don't have pat answers. We have a person. And more than, and more than a person, we have a, we have a person who, who knows us, who cares for us, um, who, who weeps in our pain. But that's, even that is not all we have. We, we can even go a step further because the story itself goes a step further. We, we have more than a person who, who understands our suffering. We have a person who's come to do something about it. You see, in our passage, there's, there's one more sibling that Jesus has to meet with. Uh, there's one more encounter that he must have. And so in verse 38, we see that Jesus gets up and he goes to the friend, uh, he, to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And we read in, in verse 38 that he's deeply moved, right? If you jump up to verse 33, there's a footnote on that, on that phrase, deeply moved. And our English translation actually softens that Greek word a bit. Like where, where we read deeply moved, you can also read the words, he was angry, Right? He, he's indignant. He's enraged as he's walking to the tomb of his friend. And he's mad, not at uh, Martha or Mary. Uh, he's not mad at Lazarus because he had died. He's mad at death itself. And so Jesus walks with, 
with fiery eyes toward the grave of his friend. Not as somebody who's powerless in the face of death, but as somebody who's come to do something about it. One commentator on on this passage, a guy named B.B. Warfield, he puts it this way. He says that Jesus advances to the tomb, not weak and sniveling, but as a champion preparing for conflict. Jesus, un, or John uncovers the heart of Jesus as he wins our salvation, not in cold unconcern, but with fiery wrath against our enemy. Jesus approaches the grave and he simply says, Lazarus, come out. And he does. The man who is dead walks out of the grave. That Jesus rose Lazarus as easily as you or I might wake somebody from their nap. Right? Lazarus emerges from the tomb, and the first thing that he sees is the tear-stained face of God. And the funeral becomes a homecoming. See, Jesus rages against death. And, and he came into the world. He made it his mission to put an end to it. But how? How does Jesus put an end to death? And this miracle is a foretaste of that. It's not an end in itself, because uh, in fact, if you think about it, uh, this, is, this in some ways is a crummy miracle because Lazarus raises, is raised up to life only to die again, right? Jesus, uh, Lazarus uh, is unique in the human experience that he does die twice, um, but it's in what this miracle points to. Uh, if, if you read the end of John 11, you find that some people who have witnessed this, this miracle of Jesus, they, they go to the religious leaders telling what they've heard, and, and the religious leaders are so threatened by what's happened that they begin in that moment to plot Jesus' own murder, that, that Jesus is, is such a threat to their way of life that, that he needs to be dealt with. And Jesus, Jesus knows this. If you read the Gospels, he, he tells his disciples on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to his own execution, that he's going to die. Uh, that he, that he came into this world to lay his life down so that he could take it up again. Right? Jesus knew that raising Lazarus was going to set into motion the plan of, of his own execution. Right? Well, Jesus knows that in raising Lazarus, he's burying himself. In, in calling his friend out of the grave, he, he knows that he's going to take his place inside of it. And in fact, that's the whole point. When we talk about why Jesus came into the world, he came to put death to death. He, he came to swallow up death in his own death so that in his resurrection, he might give new life to all who trust in him. Jesus came to undergo the process of death himself so that it would break its power over us. And, and in fact, the only way that Jesus could do that is by giving his own life. If, if we think about why, why couldn't God just snap his fingers and instantly undo all the suffering and death in the world? I mean, in, in, theory, in theory, he could, but think about it. That, that if God was to, to snap his fingers and do away with all suffering in the world, wouldn't that also mean that he would have to also do away with everyone who causes suffering? So how does God wipe away suffering without wiping away us who cause suffering? Well, the answer is that he wipes himself away. That God comes in, his, in, his own, in the flesh to, to die the death that we all deserve to die. He wipes himself away to absorb the, the, the penalty, uh, the wrath of God through the, through the suffering and death that we've inflicted on the world so that you and I don't have to face that same judgment. Uh, a, a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church way back in the day, a guy named D.G. Barnhouse uh, or Woodhouse, uh, he, he, he uses this illustration. He, he's with his son standing by a busy street, and he says, son, uh, imagine a huge truck is coming down the street. Uh, would you rather want to be run over by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? 
And the boy says, of the shadow of the truck. See, friends, that's what the redemption that we have in Christ looks like. Christ was hit by the truck of our sin and, and shame so that, so that the shadow would pass over us, so that, so that we would not experience the, the death that we deserve. And we talk about how God's love and power meet. That's how they meet on the cross. Because God in all of his power endures what, what, what we deserve so that in him, in, in, in a huge display of love so that in Christ we can have new life. In fact, it's only through the death and resurrection of Jesus that, that Jesus' interactions with Martha and Mary actually mean anything, right? It's only because of Christ's death and resurrection that the words he spoke to Martha are true and not lying and, and narcissistic, right? And it's only through the death and resurrection of Jesus that Mary's tears are meaningful, that they're not for nothing, that because we have a God who, who gave his life and took it up again, that, that we no longer have to fear suffering, pain, or death. And we know that because of what Christ endured for us, that our suffering and pain isn't meaningless. That God is even using that in some mysterious way that I can't begin to explain to you to help us become more like Jesus. You see, because of the resurrection of Christ, death does not have the final word in your story. Right? Resurrection has the final word on your story. Suffering and death because of Christ become, as, as one author puts it, uh, not an embarrassment to the Christian faith, but the means by which that Christ's name is stitched into our lives. And every year, friends, the Easter season confronts us with this question of belief. There, there are many barriers to belief these days, the problem of suffering being chief among them. But I hope that the story of Lazarus shows us that belief becomes possible when we understand our suffering in light of Christ's mission. When we understand that our suffering reminds us of what Christ came to do, that he came to put death to death. And, and because, of, because we serve this kind of God, we can bring all of ourselves to him, our heads and our hearts, our doubts and our tears, our pains and our losses, and find that in Jesus there is nothing sad that won't come untrue, and that there's no inch of brokenness in our world or in your life that he will not repair. The message of Easter tells us that just as surely as Lazarus and Jesus was raised, so also will we. And the question for us, friends, today is, do we believe this? Do you believe this? Please pray with me. Our Father, you are the strength of our people, your people. And we ask now that you would heal the brokenhearted among us and bind up their wounds. We ask that you would grant to them and to all else the vision of that life in which all tears are wiped away and all shadows have fled away. Raise us up in your spirit's power now to follow you in hope and trust and give us your loving power to protect us your wise power to nurture us, your beauty to enrapture us, your peace to fulfill us, and lift up our hearts in the light and love of your presence. And we ask this in the name of the one who is the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ. Amen.